Ephesians 4, 25-31. It reads, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Do an honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger And clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Thank you. May be seated. Well, I'm always very happy to be with you, and I'm very grateful for this privilege to worship God and to be with you again tonight and studying from the pages of our Bible, and as you see, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to finish really what we started earlier today. Uh, We want to look tonight at a closer look at purity, moral purity, and we want to do our our very best in understanding uh, what Paul has instructed the early church and what we want to follow as well. This morning, we looked at the subject of the new life and what it really means to be a Christian. And we primarily focused on verses 17 through 24. And as we did, we saw that the Apostle Paul was saying uh, that he was an apostle of Christ and he was urging them not to walk as the Gentiles walked. The Gentiles were darkened in their understanding and hardened in their heart. And they were filled with a great deal of sensuality and uh, false views with regard to God Almighty And he was encouraging them not to follow after the Gentiles, but follow after God and follow after God's word. And uh, there were certain obligations that we have with regard to kingdom living. And we studied those. One of the great obligations he gave us was the putting off and the putting on of the new man. We take off the old man and put on the new. The putting off of the old man would take place and does take place when we're baptized into Christ and converted to Christ. Our old way of living is done away with. We no longer follow that pattern. But then the new man comes on and we begin to live like Christ taught us to live in the pages of the Bible. We start living that new kind of life, how important that is. And this idea of putting off and putting on is referenced for us a number of times. And we studied it from the book of Ephesians. We studied it from the book of Colossians chapter 2. We looked at it briefly from the standpoint of Romans chapter 6, and we see it here in our study tonight, Ephesians 4 and 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." The point that we were making there is to try to recapture the thought of Paul when he says that this is a daily thing that we have to do. It's not something that we just do once when we're baptized. We confess our faith in Christ and we repent of our sins. We're baptized. Okay, I put on the new man. 
Well, it doesn't end there. It is a continual putting on and putting off, as he suggests in our chapter, Ephesians chapter 4. And that basically is what we tried to cover this morning. But I wanted to talk a little more directly, as Paul does, about what the new clothes look like. If he talks about putting off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes, what are these new clothes like and what do they look like? And the first thing that the Apostle Paul begins to tell us is, he says, stop the lying. we got to put the falsehood behind us. And that's our verse tonight, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Telling the truth is more like being like the nature of God. God cannot lie, Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Now, Satan always lies, John chapter 8 and 44. In fact, the Bible says he's the father of lies. Every time his lips are moving, he's telling you a lie. But God never lies. God always tells the truth. And the more we tell the truth, the more we love the truth, the more like God we are becoming. We are becoming more like him in his character, in that he always tells the truth, and so we should always tell the truth one to another. Somebody says, okay, I got it. Let's go on to the next point. But hold on just a second. It's a little more complicated than that, isn't it? Do you know how many lie every single day? We've got to make a very conscientious effort to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. It's so easy for a lie to come up in our minds. And then in the next thing, we're telling it. Paul says, put the falsehood away. Carol and I were traveling uh, on an occasion to Colorado, as we love to do, and in uh, spending the night at the motel, I got up the next morning early, and I went outside and I looked out there and I saw somebody had scraped the side of my pickup truck put a big dent underneath the passenger side door. Well, when Carol came out, she said, when did you do that? And I tried to assure her I didn't do that. Somebody else did that. And so I decided when I got back home that I'd sit, go to the insurance company and go to the body shop and have that repaired. And I also had a little dent back here in the back, which I did do. I backed up on one of those security posts. I couldn't see it. So I backed up on that, and I bent the bumper a little bit, not much. And um, so this insurance adjuster is looking at this truck. And it was a lady, and the first thing that she said to me, uh, she says, well, we can take care of that. And she's looking, she says, what about this dent back here in the back? And the first thing came to my mind. If I said, yeah, that happened at the same time, too, we're all going to get this fixed, the whole thing, under the same deductible. Now, if I say that that happened at a different time, which it did, then I'm going to have to pay another deductible for that. After all, what does it matter? It's just an insurance company. You see how temptation comes? That quick. When she asked me that question about that dent in the back, Immediately there was that temptation to say, oh, yeah, it all happened. Same accident. But I didn't do it. I said, well, I have to be honest with you. I did that backing up on a security post uh, earlier. That was a different situation. Now, this happened while we were in Colorado the other week, and that happened. That's really what I'm concerned about fixing it. 
She said, well, why don't we just fix it all anyway? And I said, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Do you see how quick it is to be tempted to lie? Sometimes we think that way. Sometimes lying comes right on us so fast we can hardly imagine it. And the next thing you know, we've said the wrong thing and said it the wrong way. And we've done the very thing that he tells us in verse 30. Do not grieve the Spirit of God. To grieve the Spirit of God means to break the great heart of God. You know, parents, they know what it's like to have their children break their hearts. And so it is with God. When we lie and do not tell the truth, it shows that our character is not like God. Our character is more like Satan. And when we lie and we misrepresent and we deliberately deceive another person by some means or some fashion, then we're more like Satan than we are like God. And I thought, before I skip over this point, let's talk a little more about falsehood. Let's stop the lying. What we've got to realize is we lie sometimes because we make promises we can't fulfill. And so I've made a promise to you, and I lie about not fulfilling it, or I lie about not fulfilling it on time like I should. Or I betray a trust that you have placed in me, and by betraying that trust, I have committed a falsehood. You see, a lie is any deliberate attempt to deceive. If I deliberately try to deceive you and to try to say something to convince you otherwise from what is true, I've committed a lie. Now, I could tell you that the Dallas Cowboys, in my mind, is the best team in football today. That wouldn't be a lie. I wish it were true, but it wouldn't be a lie. But if I deliberately deceived you, into thinking in a certain way. That would be. Like cheating in school. That's a lie. The Apostle Paul is saying, stop the lying. Don't be involved in falsehood. Be honest in your... Be honest in your pursuits as far as the job is concerned. You know, I can give an an unjustified exaggeration. You know, sometimes as a literary device, hyperbole is used in order to make a point. It is a communicative device. It's not an attempt to deceive. But I can, in an unjustified way, exaggerate the story in such a fashion that it deceives you. And in turn, I'm being less truthful than what I really ought to be. And then there's the times when we're tempted to lie, and we have to be careful here. Insincere flattery. Be careful about that. Be careful about being put. And uh, you're invited over and you say, uh, how do you like this new couch we bought? And you say, oh, isn't this a lovely couch? Why, it just fits this room perfectly. And when you walk out the door, you say to your wife or to your husband, I wouldn't be caught dead with that thing in my house. (laughs) Be careful about insincere flattery. And somebody says, well, doesn't kindness count for something? We're trying to be kind. And we want to be kind and courteous. Yeah, kindness counts for something. But I think truth counts for more. We need to be honest. Now, my mom always used to say, if you can't find something good to say about the other person, then you don't have to say anything at all. And I've heard that a number of times from a number of different people. And I think it's probably good advice there. I don't have to say everything that's going on in my mind. As children of God, we are people of deep integrity. We want to tell the truth, and we want nothing but the truth. You know, I believe that we're living when lying is a problem. 
We see lies in the newspaper. We see lies on the television. We see lies in reporters and reporting events in the public arena and the public affairs of uh, our time. used to play golf in California with a good friend of mine. He's vice president of a major um, mortgage financing company. And we'd find the time to play golf. And he would drive down to San Diego. He's a good friend of mine. I thought the world of him and still do. Member of the church. And he would complain to me about people, how they lie, about the applications that they fill out for a home loan, how that they would exaggerate the amount of money that they make and that they couldn't really justify that amount of money in order to get the home loan, and how that people exaggerate and lie and try to uh, falsify those important documents like that. And our society's comfortable with that. Our society's comfortable. Yeah, I'm coming Tuesday to take care of that, knowing all the time they're not going to come on Tuesday, knowing all the time that they're not going to make it then, and it's going to uh, cost uh, so much. It's going to cost $100 fix that on your old car right there, knowing all the time it's going to be a whole lot more. Or you really needed that anyway. That really didn't fix your problem, but you needed it anyway, trying to pad the bill and make it more and get more out of the client and more out of the customer. The Bible's talking about integrity here. We're talking about what do new clothes look like when we put off the old clothes and we put on the new and become children of God. The new clothes are free of falsehood. We feel deeply and passionately about telling the truth because God cannot lie, Titus 1 and 2. Satan does lie, John 8 and 44. And I want to be more like God and not like Satan. The new clothes look like an individual who can get angry, but he does not sin in being angry. Now the point is made in our verse 26 tonight. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. 26 is an interesting verse, and I've made reference to it a time or two before, but I'd like to talk a little bit about it more tonight in this context. The idea of... Here the apostle says there may be times when you are angry. But then go on down to verse 31. I'm in Ephesians 4. In verse 31 he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Well, I'm beginning to scratch my head, and I wonder, well, now, did he forget what he said up there in verse 26? He said, be angry. In verse 31, he said, put it all away. The problem that we hear or see here is that he's talking about a different kind of anger. No, he hasn't forgotten what he said in verse 26. 26 does not contradict 31. What he's saying in verse 26 is there's a kind of righteous indignation that you ought to have. There's a kind of anger that does fill your heart with a righteous But then there's a kind of anger that you ought to never have. That kind of anger you ought to eliminate from your life altogether. The 26th anger, I mean by that Ephesians 4 verse 26, is the kind of anger that we might have that's much like God. Notice it says in Ephesians 5, Another chapter just over from this one in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
Well, in Ephesians 5 and verse 6, he talks about God being angry. And there are times when God does get angry. There were times when God exhibited that anger and manifested in the pages of the Old Testament. Sometimes he did that in the New Testament. It is a type of righteous indignation. Did Jesus ever get angry? He surely did. In Mark chapter chapter 3, here's an interesting passage that we'll want to remember. There a withered man, a man with a withered hand, came to Jesus on the Sabbath day. And they were looking to see whether he would actually heal this man on the Sabbath day. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come here. And verse 4 says, he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, verse 5, grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The text tells us from that point they decided to destroy Jesus, and they were making their plans in order to accomplish that terrible deed. The point is that Jesus became angry at their hardness of heart and their unwillingness to accept the Holy One of God. There in turn, there are times when we become angry. Jesus became angry in his life. God will pour out his anger upon the wicked. He surely did upon the lives of Sodom and Gomorrah to give them a just recompense of reward. And we too should become filled with a righteous indignation over that which opposes God and opposes God's divine will. But he gives us a caveat here in this particular verse. He says in verse 26, Be angry, but do not sin. In other words, do not nurse that anger. Don't continue that anger. He reminds us of us as being human beings. We've got to be very careful that we do not allow this anger to grow and grow and grow. Be aware that sometimes I can get angry and allow that anger to get the best of me, and in so doing I nurse it or grow it, and it becomes a detriment to me, a detriment to my soul a detriment to others because I've allowed that anger to keep on and keep on and keep on. I cannot nurse this anger. I've got to get over it quickly. And I think that's what the B part of the passage is saying. Verse 26, do not let the sun go down on your anger. This righteous indignation which we might have. Make sure that it's ended quickly. I don't think he's saying it's got to be done by sundown necessarily. I think he is saying, get over it as quickly as you possibly can. And you can see why he's saying that. Because when we face this anger, and we sit there, and we stew about it, and we nurse it, and we let it continue, then the next thing you know, we're beginning to imagine what the other person said. We're beginning to imagine what the other person thinks. We're beginning to build up an exaggerated picture about what the situation really entails. We've got to get over the anger and go through that cooling down period just as much and just as soon as we possibly can. And he gives us a verse to help us. Verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. He knows that if we continue to nurse this anger and let it continue to go on and on, then in turn we're going to find problems from the devil himself. He's going to use that as an opportunity to exploit me and to take advantage of me and to take advantage of others. 
He knows that here I'm in a situation, I'm in a state where I'm vulnerable, and he will use that opportunity to take advantage of me and my relationship to others, and I cannot allow that to happen. I can't give him an opportunity. And that's his point here. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil, verse 27. I don't need to give him an opportunity by me being mad at my wife or your spouse or my kids or other members of the congregation or people at work. I'm not going to allow that kind of opportunity to take place because I know the devil will take advantage of that opportunity if he at all possibly can. I'd like to talk about another matter. Stop the stealing. Now, this is his point. The new clothes look like this. In Ephesians 4, 25 through 31, this Bible writer is telling us we've got to stop stealing. And it's an important passage to remember. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Stop the stealing. Somebody says, well, that's a pretty easy thing to do. I never broke into anybody's house at night. I never broke and entered with the intent of committing a felony therein. I never did anything by stealing. I never go through a store and steal whatever I can get out off the shelf and get by with. I never go and steal anything out of that store and put it in my pocket and trail off. We got to be careful, just like lying. Stealing comes in different forms. He's talking about what this new moral life looks like. This new moral life as a child of God is a life which is lived devoid of stealing the property of others. When I steal from others, it shows a lack of respect which I have for the other person and the other person's property. When a businessman overbills his client for material that is used or not used, that is called stealing. When an employee reportedly works more hours than he actually did work so that he can collect more of a wage, that is called stealing. When on my tax return, I do not use legal tax avoidance, but I exaggerate my deductions, I do not report all my income, that is When I do not pay my debts like I should, and I try to beat somebody out of the debt that I legitimately owe, that is called stealing. When I hire people and work them and do not give them a reasonable wage for what they're doing and do not pay them the way that they should be paid, that is called stealing. Somebody says, well, okay, I get it now. Let's move on to the next point. Let's wait a minute. Let's see how easy it is for us to do this if we're not very careful. Once again, I'll use myself as an illustration. Carol and I am in gospel meeting somewhere, speaking somewhere, and we stop. One of our favorite places to stop was a restaurant that has special pies and that kind of thing. Carol really liked it, so we stopped. Of course, I'd never eat a pie. But at any rate, we stopped to have pie after services that night. Pie and a cup of coffee would kind of suit me just fine. And after services that night, on the way home, an hour or so driving home, we stopped at this particular place. And I noticed that the, uh, on the bill, this particular waiter did not charge us for a piece of pie. 
I went, wait a minute now. First thing came to my mind. First thing that came to my mind. Oh, man, I got a free piece of pie here. He didn't charge me. And then I began to think, well, it's because it's Carol's birthday. He didn't charge me because it was Carol's birthday. It was her birthday, but the waiter didn't know anything about that. So when the waiter came back, I mentioned it to him. You didn't charge us for that extra piece of pie, which we had ordered. And he adjusted adjusted the ticket properly. You see how easy it is to steal? It's an easy thing. We can do it just like that if we're not careful. You're not to steal from me. I'm not to steal from you. We're not to steal from our associates, our relationships, our friends, and our neighbors. We are to respect them and to be honest just as God is honest. And I put it to you this way. Every bank in the state of Texas could leave its vaults wide open all day, all night, and not be short one cent from faithful members of the church of Christ. Because we don't steal. We try to live under those new clothes which look like this. Stop the stealing. Now I got an idea. Banks in Texas left their bank vaults open. And all the members of the churches of Christ walk through those banks. I'm afraid they might be short a lot. We got to stop the stealing. We got to be faithful and just. Just as God has taught us to be in wearing these new clothes. It's one thing to say I'm living this new life. And it's another thing to do it. One thing we got to do, verse 29. What do the new clothes look like? Put off the old, put on the new. Putting on the new means stop the corrupt talk. And that's his point in verse 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, you know what corrupt talk is? Corrupt talk is rotten talk. You know what rotten fruit is like? It's no good. Rotten fruit is no good and it's to be thrown away. Corrupt talk is rotten talk that absolutely hurts others, harms others, and does no good. Now, I think he's talking about profanity here in the B part of the passage, verse 29. And what we say, let it be used for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We should keep the profanity out of our mouths. And I hope that you'll listen very carefully to the Word of God here. And if you're in the habit of using the coarse talk, the rotten talk that destroys other people and harms the lives of other people, or the profanity, the words on the wrong side of the ledger, that you'll eliminate that speech from your life and do it right now. Living the new clothes and putting on those new clothes, Paul says means stop the corrupt talk. Now, speech is a wonderful gift, isn't it? A wonderful gift from God that we're able to communicate one with another. And the animals in the animal kingdom, they really don't have it. Now, they've tried to make out like this one can communicate with that one. And there might be some very low-level forms 
of communications which animals can make by means of grunts and squeals and growls and that kind of thing where they posture toward one another as far as taking over and protecting domain, that kind of thing. But it's not the kind of communication we're used to. We have this wonderful ability to speak and to talk and to communicate. And God has used that as a means of giving us His will and telling us what His will is really all about. And that, of course, is a wonderful gift from God. James told us that we'll never be able to control the tongue. It is an unruly thing. It is a wonderful gift that God has given. But who can control the tongue? None of us will ever be able to have full control of our tongues. But we have got to stop the corrupt talk. It is corrupt talk when we assassinate one another's character. It is corrupt talk when we try to put question marks over another individual's integrity. It is corrupt talk known as guile when we try to influence someone else against another unjustly so. These kinds of things happen all the time. And it's very easy for us to say that. And so you're saying, okay, I got it, I got it. Let's move on to the next point. Wait just a minute. It's very easy to commit a sin like this. Verse 29. Now you know brother so-and-so? Or yes, I know brother so-and-so. Brother so-and-so's a fine fellow, but um, just be careful there. And what I've done is put a cloud and a question mark over another person's character. And in doing that, I have spoken with guile about another. Jesus was one in which no guile was found in his mouth. There was no corrupt talk in the mouth of our Savior. But what he said was always that which built up and encouraged and was filled with grace, that it may give grace to those who hear, verse 29. Now I'd like to speak just a brief moment about the matter in verse 30. Don't grieve the Spirit. Here again, our behavior is potentially that of deviating from the will of God to break the heart of God the Holy Spirit, the one who revealed God's holy and inspired word. As I said a brief moment ago, all parents understand how this is, where a child has not done what they were instructed to do, or a child did not live up to the standard that we taught them to live up to. And as that takes place, it grieves our heart. And so it is with every rebellious act before God. It grieves the Spirit of God. When we live in rebellion to God, that is what happens, grieving the Spirit. I believe it is a great challenge to put on the new clothes. I believe that every individual needs to put off the old and put on the new. But it is a challenge every single day to live the kind of life God wants us to live. Now, if you've never been obedient to the gospel of Christ, you're still living under the old self, the old way. And that lesson that we talked about this morning about not living like the Gentiles is one that really comes to mind. But then if you have been a child of God, but you're guilty of these matters, then repent of it. And the matter of putting off and putting on now is apropos, apropos that we need to understand what God has said in this matter and to do it and to do it now. Is that the case tonight? Then repent of those sins. If you need to obey the gospel, then do it tonight. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.